Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Very glad you're here. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. If you are a visitor here, I would like to extend a special welcome to you, and I would ask you to fill out a visitor card in the back of the pew in front of you if you haven't already. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Putting words are from a song by Mark Bellatini. O liberating rose that glows on ragged stem, your beauty helps all hearts lose power to condemn. Your buds are tight with prophecy, your thorns a tougher poetry. You sign the whole and gift of life. If anyone asks, how do you come together for worship as Unitarian Universalists when some of you have roots in the Christian tradition and some in the Jewish or Buddhist tradition, some in the secular humanist tradition, some in the earth-based tradition, and others, how, what holds you together? You can say, well, at First Unitarian Universalists in Austin, one of the things that holds us together is our mission, and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. The words of Betz Vinicki. May we learn to recognize and affirm the pieces of possibility, the bits of good we bring. May we encourage rather than control, love rather than possess, Enable rather than envy, allowing our individual gifts to weave a patchwork of peace, the soft, deep blue of sensitivity and understanding, the red energy of creativity, the white heat of convictions, the risky, fragile green of new growth, the golden flashes of gratitude, the warm rose of love. Each of us is indispensable if we are to minister to a broken and wounded world. Together in our gathered diversity, we form the whole. So be it. Let us continue our meditation with a prayer from the Buddhist tradition, loving-kindness prayer, or the meta-meditation. We say this through three times. I'll say a line and you say it after me should you choose to. The first time we say this for ourselves. If you decide to practice this as a spiritual path, you are supposed to say this for yourself for the first six months to build a strong foundation for compassion for others. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. 
May I have ease of well-being. So the second time we say this for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time, as a spiritual stretch, we say this for someone against whom we have a resentment. If this is your spiritual practice, this is a year and a half in. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. I'm preaching about roses this morning because it's summertime and the roses are out. I love roses. Um, I love the song, the Yellow Rose of Texas. Now that I'm a Texan. I moved into a house that had a ready-made rose garden, which I'd never had before because my mother had told me that roses were hard to grow. You had to spray a lot of chemicals on them, and um, so I just hadn't wanted to bother, even though I loved gardening in other ways. But there was this rose garden along the sunny southern side of the house, and I just uh, noticed it year after year, and it did fine without me, really. Um, I, I deadheaded them, and pruned them back in, when you were supposed to prune them, whenever Martha Stewart said, prune them, I did it. And um, I thought a lot about the medieval mystic Hildegard of Bingen who talked about the greening breath. She says, um, the breath of the air makes the earth fruitful. Thus the air is the soul of the earth, moistening it and greening it. And I love that phrase, the greening of the earth, and she talks a lot about the soul greening the human being and um, how that energy comes up through you. And I was watching it happen with the roses, and they seemed really happy in the heat, which I was not. And um, I always felt kind of crabby and overwhelmed in the heat. And you'd see these people, these families on television, you know, going floating and splashing around and having cookouts and um, generally looking well-groomed and well-fed and financially stable. And um, their animals were always, you know, doing the right thing. And um, I felt a little bit of a mess with two small children compared to those people on TV, which is always a losing proposition when you're going to be comparing yourself to TV people. So, um, but summer has always been a kind of a hard time, and so I was wishing for that greening breath in me and thinking I would love that, and I was imagining myself as one of those roses out there, and I was thinking maybe, um, I don't know why this occurred to me, but it, it occurred to me that maybe the roses are kind of happy when they're buds, little tightly coiled little buds, and maybe as they gently toss in the breeze and get warmed by the sun, 
they freak out a little bit when their petals start to loosen and come apart. And they think, what's happening? And maybe they try to hold the bud closed. Maybe they try to keep from blossoming because they don't know, you know, the first time out. They don't know what's happening. And, you know, maybe you just can't hear them screaming, but maybe they... And it occurred to me that perhaps in my life there were times like that when I thought everything was together. You know how it's kind of cyclical and temporary. You have everything together and then there it goes and falls apart again. But I thought maybe instead of thinking of it as falling apart, I could think of it as blossoming. And maybe I could understand that the same rhythm that the roses go through where you are the sprout and then you're the flower, the bud, the flower, the then your petals just fall off, which I know you know that feeling. And they're lying on the ground all over you, all over the fire ant mound that's right at your feet. But then there's the seed that can, you know, have infinitely more roses in it. Um, and it's also good for you if you make tea out of it. So the seed time in a person's life is also a time when you can be very nourishing to other people, and it's a time we all have to go through. And and then the seed falls to the ground, which is very sad, only um, you know that they'll be up again, there'll be more. That's nature's way, and we learn a lot from nature about how we are because we're part of nature. And so um, I thought maybe I can feel the sun on my face and kind of surrender to the loosening of things and the think of it as blossoming. And I know there are some people who don't go through that. There are people who are kind of like evergreens, and they, they're they fine all the time in every season, and they, they just seem to chug along evergreen and um, beautiful in the same way all the time. And other people really do go through this Put down your roots. Get the sprout. Get the flower. Oh, I love the flower. Oh, man, there go my petals. And uh, I don't know which one you are. But I decided that I wanted to find out more about roses, and I did a little research, and I found out when they're in so many songs and they're in so many poems, they're in so many religions, they're very powerful symbol, and the first rose fossils that they found, the earliest ones they found, are in Colorado and in Oregon, and they're 32 million years old. 32 million years ago, we had roses. They were like the East Asian roses. They were simple. They weren't the American beauty rose, but they were roses nonetheless. The first record we have of the kind that we think of as a rose, the kind that's on the front of your bulletin, is um, in a very stylized fresco at the temple in Knossos in Greece, and that's from um, the 16th century BCE, before the Common Era, 16th century BCE. And we think maybe they come from East Asia, we don't know, but in the Hindu religion, the goddess Lakshmi was said to have been born from a rose that had 108 large petals and 1,008 small ones. Beautiful Lakshmi. So the rose is a symbol, which means it can 
it can evoke um, multi-layered and complex meaning. You use symbols when you want to talk about something that is kind of abstract and difficult to understand, and something also that is connected to other things, like this. The rose is beautiful, and also it can hurt you. Okay, so human beings look at that, and, the, and you think about all the many experiences that are beautiful and can hurt you. So a rose can just symbolize all of those things. It, it's, a rich, it's a rich and sturdy symbol in that it can carry so many meanings. When you think, what is beautiful and painful at the same time? You might just start at the top and go, well, life. Khalil Gibran says, the optimist sees the rose and not its thorns. The pessimist stares at the thorns, oblivious to the rose. When you think what's welcoming and forbidding at the same time, you might say creativity. Because anyone who's ever tried to make anything, draw anything, make a dance, dance a dance, make a painting, make a business, create anything, you have the stages that you go through where you think, ooh, this is a beautiful idea, I could do that. And then you have the stage where you go, why did I think I could do this? I don't, it's going very wrong. And then you have the self-doubt, the thorns of self-doubt that you should have because that's what makes your art better. Um, you have, you know, is this good enough? Did I do this right? Is this, is this okay? Am I satisfied with this? And most artists are not satisfied ever. And um, so the thorns and the beauty go along together in art and creativity. You could say progress is like a rose because it's beautiful what you're going for, but it's, oh, there's always resistance to change. There are always people who say, oh, I liked it better the other way. Um, don't do that anymore. It's, it's, I, let's just keep things the same. Anybody who's tried to change themselves as a human being, you know that your family pretty much, even though they've always suggested politely that you change, as soon as you do, they, they give you a lot of signals to change back because you're upsetting everything. When you think about something that's gorgeous and can make you bleed, um, everybody says, well, love, of course, love is perfect thing for the rose to carry as a symbol. The rose has been a symbol of love from the ancient days. It was sacred to Aphrodite, to Venus. Um, the rose naturally, because of that, became connected with the femaleness of God in the early Christian church. It was given to Mary as a, as a symbol, since Mary usually was given all the characteristics of the goddess of that particular um, geographical area. So Mary and the rose have been linked in Christianity forever, and a lot of girls are named Rosemary or Mary Rose because of the rose belonging to Mary. And so roses symbolize a lot of different kinds of love, um, Pure love is symbolized by the white rose for some reason. Pink, first love. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, the poet 
Robert Herrick says to the virgins, old time is still a flying. So my dad would hear that um, he was the worst male basher in the whole world. The mother of sons has learned to disapprove of male bashing very much, um, but my dad was the worst. And uh, he used to say, uh, if any boys tell you gather ye rosebuds while ye may, uh, just say I'm, I'm not gathering any rosebuds today with you. Because they only want one thing. True love, red roses, cheating, yellow roses. I was very sad to find that out because yellow roses are my favorite. And I grew up on my granddaddy's kind of gentleman farm where we didn't actually grow anything that took any work, but it was beautiful. And, uh, and there was a split rail fence down in front of the house before you got to the pasture and the pond and climbing all over the fence were beautiful yellow roses. I just grew up with them. They were my absolute favorite. And to find out that they symbolize cheating, I don't think they do in Texas. Do you? Okay. We'll make that. We'll declare. One friend reminded me of a poem by Walter de la Mare that ends, Oh, no man knows through what wild centuries roves back the road. Many wild centuries ago, the rose was a symbol of secrecy. So if you were having a meeting, sometimes you'd hang a rose on the doorknob if no one was supposed to say what happened inside that room, like executive session. Um, Sometimes they'd hang a rose from the ceiling, so you were under the rose, sub rosa. Under the rose was where you had this secret session. Some meeting chambers even had roses painted on the ceiling, so they were always there. Whenever you're in this room, it's secret, whatever you're talking about, the Sub Rosa um, meetings. The number five is associated with a rose because each layer has five petals, and five is a sacred number because it's the four elements of earth, earth, air, fire, water, plus spirit. So that makes five. And the human being, when standing with arms outstretched and legs spread, is a five-pointed star. You have one, two, three, four, five. That's where the pentagram comes from. Um, I don't think that's where the pentagon comes from, but uh, the pentagram symbolizes human being, earth, air, fire, water, plus spirit. The rose has been linked to the five senses because they're beautiful to see and they're lovely to smell and you can taste them in many, uh, especially in Indian food, you have this rose taste that's wonderful. Middle Eastern food, and um, I'm not sure about hearing. I, as I said, I can't hear the roses screaming. Maybe, maybe some people can. Politics and struggle have been symbolized by the rose, which is a symbol of the Social Democratic Party in many countries. Is the symbol that the... Um, Students in Paris pinned onto their clothes in 1968 when they had the big protests because what you're going for is so beautiful and yet you know that there will be blood on the way. In the early 1900s, James Oppenheim wrote a poem that was used during the textile strikes 
in those days in Massachusetts, and the, and the women from the textile mills would march and they would sing, hearts starve as well as bodies, give us bread, but give us roses. Many of you Grateful Dead fans know about their album, American Beauty, and it's one of their most well-known albums. Robert Hunter was, is a lyricist that's best known for his work with the Grateful Dead, and he was being interviewed by a professor um, for his book on the Grateful Dead, professor of the University of Colorado, and um, he... he was asking Robert Hunter, the lyricist, about why it showed up in so many of their songs. And Robert Hunter said, well, I've got this one spirit that's laying roses on me. Roses, roses, can't get enough of those bloody roses. The rose is the most prominent image in the human brain as to delicacy, beauty, short-livedness, thorniness. It's a whole. There's no better allegory for, dare I say it, life than roses. The poet uh, Dante also uses this rose as a symbol of the whole universe, the expanding cosmos symbolized by the rose. One woman I know uses roses in her personal um, life in that she imagines whenever she's going into a difficult situation that she's covered in roses. She makes herself an imaginary cloak. all of roses, and she puts it on when she's headed into a difficult situation and feels protected by the roses and inspired. Rumi writes, In the driest, whitest stretch of pain's infinite desert, I lost my sanity found this rose. So whether you are evergreen or whether you are dry as a stick right now or whether you are feeling thorny or velvety or blossomy, I would like to invite you to um, imagine a rose either in your heart or in your mind. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. There are many hard things in the world, many tragedies that we see every day on the television and hear about news. Life has many thorns, personal and impersonal. Life has many beauties as well. Where would we like to focus? Maybe we can hold it all in mind at the same time if we think of the rose. I know this rose will open. I know my fears will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. Go in peace.
This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.